The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. All right, we're going to start with a profound comic. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I found this a while ago, and I just thought it pretty... Uh, um, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me from John 10, 27. And uh, it's, it's kind of a silly comic, but I wonder why I don't hear from the shepherd anymore. I think there are two reasons we don't hear from the shepherd, and I hope you hear from the shepherd tonight, but we are distracted people. We're distracted by our culture, we're distracted by our bad habits, we're distracted by life. And so even now, we need to be praying and and wrestling with, Lord, let us hear you. If you don't hear from the shepherd, the other option is maybe you don't know the shepherd. He is not your shepherd. Um, and so those, those thoughts I want to launch into tonight, it's the 23rd Psalm. And the question is not just, is the Lord your shepherd, but are we hearing him? Are we listening to him? Are we so distracted by life we can't hear what he has for us? Yeah, so we're looking at the, the 23rd Psalm. I'm going to read this. It's so, so familiar. Um, and the danger with that is, like my beloved wife, been married 28 years, familiarity can... Um, can, can, can breed all sorts of bad husband habits. Well, it can do the same thing with Scripture. So let's look at this and try to hear it as if we're hearing it for the very first time. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This shepherd motif, this sheep shepherd motif. I mean, anybody here own sheep? Just curious. I didn't think so. It's not a common thing uh, in metropolitan Manchester. Um, and, 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 you know, when we think of, of God, there are, there, he uses words to give us pictures, the most common being father. You know, we all have had a father, good or bad, we've had a father. Uh, He uses the term king, which is glorious, but a little removed because we don't elect kings, we elect presidents, so it takes us some bending and twisting of our brain to understand a kingdom. And Jesus' gospel is a gospel of his rule, that he rules my life as a king is a good thing, but it it takes some work to understand that. And shepherd, the shepherd motif. And uh, as we look at this, there are a couple observations that come, and what we're just going to do is work right through this passage and look at some observations. The first being, the Lord's care for sheep is very personal. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, that, that means it's a very personal thing. The Lord taught us to pray, our Father. So there's this collective concept that we're brothers and sisters and call Uh, God Father, but when David writes this, the Lord is my shepherd, he is making it very clear. Uh, In fact, 
One of the most memorable sermons I heard from the uh, elder statesman of the Evangelical Church of Modern Era, Billy Graham, was on this very topic, and he, being an evangelist, kept hammering, is the Lord your shepherd? Can you say to God Almighty, you're my shepherd? And, and part of that is, do you hear his voice? Do you, do you follow him? But there's also a sense of acknowledging ownership, that he, he cares directly for that which is his. When we think of the care provision, and we have this idea that uh, the Lord being my shepherd, I have no want. That, that part of the definition of a shepherd is that the sheep are well cared for. Our corruptions in our souls are still craving things that we think, oh, if I only had the flat screen TV or a better apartment or whatever. But... But God will never engage himself in satisfying our corrupt desires. That's not what he's about. We will not go lacking. If the good is lacking, but I need it not, then it is not a want. Let me say that again. If the good goes lacking, something I think is good, but goes lacking, then it is not a want. Because God makes it very clear that, that we have no need apart from what he provides. Think of the psalm, and again, if you're new to the Bible, these psalms are, are rich with, with truth that continue to provide the undercurrent of our faith. But there's a psalm in Psalm 37, 25 that says, I've been young and now I'm old, and yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. This idea that God cares for us is, is uh, mysterious in this regard. We run around this world thinking, I need this and I need that and I need this. But what we often need is, is God's gentle word. We often, actually, sometimes our lack in our lives are God providing something we didn't know we needed, which is more dependent upon, that dependence upon him. He cares for us, not just in provision, but in rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's a book, uh, Joanne Weaver wrote a book called... Um, having a Mary's heart in a Martha's world. If you don't know the story, two, two sisters were sitting, or had Jesus into their home, and, and um, Martha was running around scurrying, getting dinner ready, and there's a crowd there, and, she's, and Mary's sitting and listening to Jesus' teaching, and, and Martha's kind of coming to Jesus and says, Jesus, don't you see my, all the need around here and my sister sitting there? And Jesus said, your sister Mary has chosen what's better. Rest is something that, in the patterns of our lives, uh, we need. Um, and it's ironic, that word pastures is plural. It's not pasture, it's pastures. Which means he takes us from rest to rest. There's the rhythm of the week. One of the things we wrestle with as pastors is, do we take a Sabbath? Um, some people think you only work one day a week. Don't you rest a lot? No, but... The question we often face is how do you turn off the demands of everybody's needs and say, sort of say to the great shepherd, you don't need me on. I can just be Dave. I can be Sharon's husband. I, I can like not think church thoughts or think people's concerns. It's not like God needs me, right? So this idea of rest, Jesus continually invites us into rest. Um, Jesus discloses himself as the great shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know 
my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father I lay down my life for the sheep so Jesus comes to us and says listen I want you to rest I want you to rest from your guilt uh, Jacob's helping me pick up uh, get back into some sort of exercise routine so I'm swimming because he's swimming and I've always liked swimming but the ir irony for me is I'm swimming at the YMCA in Concord where I grew up and I remember being in there as a 14 year old guy and I remember being in there with some of my classmates from the Christian school in Concord. And I remember one of, the, one of my classmates who I had sort of had a crush on one summer, she was writing to me. And, and I remember at 14, uh, this, we actually wrote letters. You guys, we actually wrote with our hands and put stamps on things and mailed them. And it took like three or four or five days to get there. It was really quite uh, fast. <laughs> but there's a, there's a verse that this friend of mine wrote on there that became at the age of 14 and I'm saying this because I'm looking around saying some of you guys are 14 Jesus spoke to me very very strongly about uh, from 2nd Corinthians 12 9 and 10 he said to me my grace is sufficient for you my strength is made perfect in weakness most gladly therefore rather will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me and I got thinking that verse hit me in a way that I heard the shepherd at that point which reminded me that 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 in, in my frailty as a 14-year-old, or now as a 53-year-old, His grace is sufficient. Jesus leads us to cause us to rest. He is a good shepherd who cares for us personally. I don't know what your need is. I don't know who you are. I, it's not my job. I'm not, I'm not your father in heaven, so it's not my job. But I, can, I know this. If Jesus is your shepherd, He cares for you personally. And he wants you to know he's got you covered. He is the one who gives you manna from heaven. He will provide. You have no want in Jesus. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you from rest to rest to rest. He wants you to lead you away from, from, from the scattered life to a life of the rhythm of rest and serving, rest and serving. You see, Jesus has come to give us a life of abundant joy in him. I want to make a, a second observation, and uh, is this one here. He leads, sheep follow. This, this is critical. This is critical. I am not giving you some suggestions tonight. I'm reading you a text that calls you, if you are a shepherd, to follow. If you're not a sheep, then you do not follow. Then you need to know that there's a, there, there, that, that, that there's a shepherd who's calling your name, wants you to follow, but you're not, not being a sheep means you're susceptible to the wolves of... of of corruption and destruction. Good leadership is inspiring. And not too many years ago here in New Hampshire, well, actually in New England, Arthur T. DeMula inspired us by his, his love for his people in Market Basket. And I don't know if you know the story, but there was this fight over who was going to take control of uh, Market Basket. And the employees had been so loved and led well by Arthur T. DeMula the Mulas, that uh, they, they went on strike. They weren't unionized. They went on strike. And, and, and for, I think it was six or seven weeks, they shut down their company pretty much because they were so inspired by this man who loved them. And if that is true of a supermarket, how much more of one who leads us to eternal rest? Now, David recognized two places he leads us. One is besides still waters to restore our souls. This idea of the restoration of the soul, the soul being the deepest part of who you are, that 
that inner deep part of, of where everything sort of meshes together that is so hidden beyond just your emotion, beyond just your thinking, so deep within you, and he rebuilds it. A broken soul is a soul of, of someone who, is, who does, um, doesn't, doesn't find comfort in who God has made them in God's plan for them. Running from this to that, looking for hope, looking for joy, but Jesus comes to restore our soul. But actually, this, um, this line, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, is a promise of one who understands the difficulty in a world of, of uh, harshness, cruelty, accusation, and fear. That we need refreshment that goes deep. He also leads us in the right way. This restoration of soul, this, this rebuilding of a broken interior, uh, also is this life that has an external part, which is the path of righteousness. Or what does it mean for my life to do the right things as if Jesus were living through me? He leads us in that. I don't know where you work, I don't know where you live, I don't know your family circumstances, but Jesus, your good shepherd, does. And he's called you by his voice to lead you in ways of righteousness to where you are. Another verse that Jesus said in John 10, 17, or 10, no, 10, 4, he says, um, he goes before his sheep. So the shepherd leads his sheep, they know his voice, he has a plan for you. He leads you by his voice in the way that is right for you. That bears out his name and his, his ethic where you are. And so as we think about uh, Jesus being the good shepherd and him saying, I lead you besides the waters to restore your inner brokenness. I lead you so that the external life of, of you represents my name. You're my sheep. This leads us to a third and third observation. The way ahead is guaranteed. And again, this, this is the psalm, the part of the psalm where, where we get hit with death. We get hit with eternity. And um, actually, I, I find the way ahead, they're, they're, if you break down the verses, you end up with four thoughts. One is, there's no need to be haunted by death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Most of us will have multiple experiences with the death va death's valley. And looking ahead, there'll be more to come. But we need not fear evil, whether it's our death or another's death. For he is with us. I still remember, I was probably seven, when on my first roller coaster ride, it was at Hershey Park in Pennsylvania, and my dad was with me. I was scared big time, but my dad was with me. Well, as we face the roller coasters of life and, 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 and the downward spiral of the valley of death, we need not fear evil. His protection, his guidance are with us. I thought of this irony this, this week. We're supposed to fear God, right? And perfect love casts out fear. So I thought of this, and I thought it was pretty profound. Let's see if you concur. <laughs> fear God and have no fear. I thought this. In the sense that, that if God is who he says he is, and we're in awe of that, we have no fear. Death is clearly um, one of the, the, 
the most striking and painful fears we face. Five years ago last week, my, my dad, who's one of my heroes, died at the age of 90. And he'd been in the nursing home in Concord for about three years. And the last, his, his sort of um, our death watch with dad went on for like nine days. And uh, my mom wrote, I wrote this in my journal because it struck me, but my mom who's still with us, she said this, I knew the Lord would be with us through the valley of the shadow of death. I just didn't know the valley would be so long. <clears throat> the way ahead is guaranteed and we, we, we have no need to be haunted by death. A second thought from verse 5, uh, not only no need but, uh, to be haunted by death, but no need to be intimidated by people. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Any of you fear people? <laughs> it, uh, it, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a striking thing that, that, uh, um, that we are constantly struggling with. How do people perceive us? How do people receive us? Um, this whole idea that God sets a banquet table... Uh, one of my sons, uh, we have four sons, one of them served in the military, and he'd bring home some of those MREs, meals ready to eat. They're pretty disgusting. Well, God, in the, presence, uh, in the presence of our enemies, is always providing us the feast of his kindness, his closeness, and his promise that he will see us through. This is why those of us who follow Jesus, we can actually love our enemies and look at them the way Jesus looked at us before we responded to his grace. We can look because our, 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 our satisfaction is provided by God's banqueting provision for us. And so we have no need to be intimidated by people. Blessings are seen on every side. Uh, the second part of, of Psalm 23.5 says, And you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. That the way ahead is a, a way of blessing. That, that we are confident that God is a God who blesses. That, that to be his children, it says in Colossians, Blessed be the God and Father, no, not Colossians, Ephesians. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly, heavenly places. That, that to be a child of God, to be a sheep in the, in, the, in the flock of Jesus is to be blessed. This whole idea of being, our head being anointed with oil, this oil is often a sign of, of God's blessing, often referring to his Holy Spirit. That the blessing of knowing that my life is not somehow spiraling out of control, that the, the one who controls it is the good shepherd. That, that the promise that nothing, uh, he will never leave us nor forsake us, that, that his hand is on us. Do not fear, little flock, as my father's intention to give you his kingdom, that there's blessing ahead. That, that often blessing is not in the tangible um, money in the bank or the car we drive, but is in the gift of his spirit that resides within us that cannot be taken away. That God's eternal presence is abundant in your life and this says my cup overflows we don't like overflowing cups right because that means you're spilling 
But if we can imagine that, that God's abundance comes in a way that there's more than our need. There's an interesting psalm that ends with, it ends, talks about the blessings of God and talks about the cup of salvation. At the end it says, what should I do? I'll lift up my, the cup of salvation again, basically saying, God, I need more. God always has more blessing for us than we have need. And again, I'm going to back up and say this has nothing to do with your bank account or the kind of car you drive. It has to do with all of his abundant riches in our lives, his provision, his promise, his pleasure in our lives. And finally, finally, the way ahead is guaranteed because the future is filled with a promise for his people, his sheep. This, this line, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Our present goodness, that the supplies of my need, his goodness and his mercy. There's a great promise that Jesus says, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Uh, when we think it's too heavy, we have, we have somehow missed the, the, the providence and pleasure and presence of Jesus in our lives. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall, shall carry me, shall, shall, shall be my rear guard all the days of my life. This daily mercy, think of the mercy. Mercy. Mercy is the forgiveness of sin. Mercy is God. What, what, when, when, when I have failed, God is merciful. There's an interesting um, mansion up in Concord, um, the Franklin Pierce Mance. He was one of our presidents, and uh, we toured it not too long ago, and uh, has a lot of the old furniture in there. Uh, it's actually been moved from its original location, and uh, one of the things that was in there, the tour guy was talking about, was his original ink blotter. Spilling ink and, and getting blots on, on things was, uh, was remedied by the blotter, which would actually remove the stain. We spill a lot in our lives. We make a mess, and God's mercy is like that blotter. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Probably some of the best uh, words uh, anyone can hear is that uh, our home is secured. The mortgage is paid off. And the house isn't dilapidated, it's well cared for. It's fully owned and cared for by your father. The old hymn that uh, we grew up on is, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Our, I have five other siblings and our dad was our hero and he, was, he inspired us and we all kind of joked that we want to live in the garden shed of dad's mansion. Well, the fact of the matter is, is, is that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That, that when Jesus has said, I go to prepare places for you, mine eye has not seen nor ear heard nor is entered into the imagination of man what God has prepared for him. But it's fun to try to picture it. If you haven't read uh, or you're familiar with uh, Randy Acorn's book, Heaven, one thing I appreciate about it is it pushes us, it pushes the reader to contemplate what could be, what could be, and then beyond. Leaves that fall from trees that taste like bacon. 
That's silly, right? Hmm, maybe not. <laughs> um, we we uh, we were contempl- we were we were toying with the idea that that uh, you know growing up there's things you wanted to be and one, my best friend said growing up one of the things he wanted to be was a cowboy but you know you can't do everything in life right but heaven you have all the opportunity to, well I'll be a cowboy for a couple decades eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into man and entered the mind of man what God has prepared for his children but we know this I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you have wealthy friends. Uh, we don't have that many wealthy friends, but we discovered, we do, I can't remember their names, but uh, I was, we were traveling across country a couple times, and uh, I, having grown up as a, my dad was a pastor, I have some, somewhat of a boldness to, 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 to invite myself to people's homes. So we were heading west, and we had friends to stay with and family to stay with. It's one of the ways you travel and keep it cheap. <laughs> But we were, our travel took us through Omaha, Nebraska. And I didn't know anybody in Omaha as far as, except a pastor friend. So I texted him and said, uh, do you have anybody in your church who like, likes hospitality? You know, they just have that gift. They like to share their home. And he immediately responded, oh yeah, call these people. So we called these people and, and uh, they said, oh sure, come on, stay, stay with us. So we're on our way and they, they, they called us or texted us the day before we got this. Sorry, we, we did, things. Would you? Can we put you up in the Marriott instead? Sure. <laughs> the next year we were going through the same route and found out. Well, this. These, so we contacted us. Oh, sure, but we won't be home. The key will be under the the rock by the door. Oh, and here's the code to the gate. We drive up to this house, and it's like a $5 million mansion, right? <laughs> Seriously. The gates open. My wife and I look at each other, and we drive up there. And, and it, they only gave us the key to the lower apartment, which is much bigger than our, like, 1,800-square-foot house, the basement. And uh, imagine if, if, if an earthly brother in Jesus who doesn't know you can share a house like that, how much more your heavenly Father invites you into his house? Part of our job is to paint a picture of how good it is to be led by the Good Shepherd. We conclude with this thought. The Good Shepherd has laid down his life for his sheep. Are you his sheep? Is he your shepherd? And one of the tests of that is, can you hear his voice? Can you hear his voice? It's a good voice. It's a voice that promises to always be with us, that he has a plan for our lives, your life, my life. He's a very personal shepherd. We can say, the Lord is my shepherd. You can say, the Lord is your shepherd. As we conclude this evening, um, let me conclude with a, a little thought here from, I live in Chichester, New Hampshire, and this, this hit me as a prayer of St. Richard of Chichester, or It's actually England, so it's Chichester. But uh, he says, Thanks be to you, O Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits which you have given us, for all the pains and insults which you have borne for us. Most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may we know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day by day. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.